Hey, we are, are so glad that you're here with us this morning. We are in week number three of the series we've been doing called Anxious for Nothing. And uh, we, we've been into this series because, as we've kind of said throughout, anxiety is a very real, very uh, major issue among us today. Uh, we, we kind of said this, that anxiety is the number one health issue, mental and physical combined health issue among women in the United States today. It's the number two health issue among men in, in the United States today. Um, and I want to just give you a couple of, of figures here, a couple of numbers uh, that if you just see these two numbers, they're not going to make a whole lot of sense to you. But these, these are two numbers that deal with anxiety. The first, 18%. That's how many people in the U.S. today struggle with anxiety. Basically, one in five um, struggle with, with anxiety. The other number, 1,200%, that's the increase in cases of anxiety among Americans in the last 30 years. And when I'm talking about these two numbers... 18% dealing with anxiety and a 1,200% increase, I don't mean like you might have a little pocket of anxiety here or there, or you have a sleepless night here or there. I mean, these are people who like have crippling anxiety, that it, it, it shuts them down where they can't function like they could without it. Those are our two numbers that are just staggering. And as a, as a culture and as a society, it seems like we keep creating new ways to become anxious about things. And we, we talked about this a little bit too, I'm going to keep showing you this throughout this series, that there, there's a correlation between fear and anxiety, but they're not exactly the same. We said fear is seeing a threat and reacting, and then anxiety is imagining a threat and not being able to move away from it. If you missed the first few weeks of this series, I'd really encourage you to, to get online and, and, and watch them or listen to the podcast, because uh, we really build up a, a four-step process Paul has laid out for us when it comes to dealing with anxiety. But like we've done the past few weeks, I want to look at this passage in Philippians chapter 4 because this is a powerful set of verses, five verses that um, give us a, a layout, a roadmap to fixing anxiety. So kind of like we've done the past few weeks, I want you to read this out loud with me as I say it. This is from the NIV, Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Um, says this, Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. Sorry, I forgot to fix that slide again for the third. You can tell I just copy and paste my slides, right? Like I, <laughs> Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I told you guys last week that uh, we were treating this like a memory verse, so if you're starting to memorize this, get yourself a piece of candy off that table on your way out. Um, you, can, you can give yourself a treat on the way out of there. But the hope is that you start to ingrain this passage into your heart like you have maybe John 3.16, or that you have maybe uh, Psalm 23, or that you have... Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, these great verses that so many of us have that we put into our hearts and our souls, I want this to become something that just becomes second nature to you. 
said this a few weeks ago, that the most highlighted verse in the Bible among American Christians is right there, Philippians 4.6. It's not John 3.16. It's Philippians 4.6. Do not be anxious about anything. And, and we've kind of looked at the first two steps of this uh, process that, that, that Paul lays out here in these five verses. Uh, the first week we talked about how we should celebrate who God is. And last week we looked at the second part there where he says, uh, by, by prayer and petition, so we, we asked God for help. But you might notice as we go through these, we're going to actually spell out a word. We're going to spell it an acrostic throughout these four, four weeks that just says, calm. That's how these set up. Celebrate who God is, ask God for help. <clears throat> Today, we're going to look at, at what L stands for, and we're going to focus really on two words out of this whole passage. We're going to list what we're thankful for. Next week, the M. You've got to come back next week to find out what the M's all about. <laughs> Hope I don't spike your anxiety wanting to come back and find out what the M is all about. But in the spirit of M... Pastor Matt's going to wrap up our, our series next week, so I'd encourage you to be here as we talk about the last verse of this passage. But last week, I, I, we, we really broke down verse 6, and we looked at those words prayer and petition and request, and I specifically left out two words last week because I said we were going to come back to it today. So today we're going to focus on that verse 6, specifically where Paul says, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. The next step in dealing with our anxiety is gratitude. See, here's the thing about gratitude. Gratitude is something that a lot of us, I think, have at times, but we're not necessarily a fully grateful person. Now, what do I mean by that? I, I look at it this way. Here's, a, here's something about me that probably most of you don't know. I can play the drums, when I was in high school, I played the drums in our high school worship band. When I was in college, I played the drums in our high school worship band. I've been able to play the drums for 20-plus years. I'm not a drummer, okay? When I say play the drums, I can hit the right thing at the right time and keep the song in beat. I'm not a drummer where I can rip off some lick or some round off or, you know, impress you with my drumming skills unless just, you know, clapping in beat impresses you. I can do that. Okay? I know how to play golf. I've got a set of clubs. I know how to hit the ball sort of in the right direction. Okay? I'm not a golfer. Okay? I know how to do certain things, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's who I am. With gratitude, most of us know how to be grateful, but we're not necessarily fully grateful people. Because too often, we're thinking about what we don't have. See, gratitude is all about perspective. Gratitude is all about perspective in your life. And to many of us, we stand kind of on the, the edge of this, this, this river called if only. You know, if only I had this, man, I'd, I'd be good. If only I had this new job, I'd, I'd be good. If only my health was a little better, I'd be in good shape. If only I, I had this person in my life, you know, a, 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 a new boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife, if, if only this, I'd be happy. We, we live in the if only universe. And if just this one thing would fix or these two things would fix, man, everything would be good for me. In his book, Max Licato writes this. He says, the good life begins not when circumstances change, but when our attitude toward them does. See, here's the thing about gratitude. Gratitude is a choice that you actively make regardless of what's going on around you. 
Gratitude, pardon the rhyme, is an attitude. And I'll probably catch myself saying this, the attitude of gratitude all morning long. But gratitude, it's a mindful awareness of all the benefits you have in life. And too often, we struggle with this because we are too caught up maybe in what somebody else has. We talked about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago. One of the major reasons I think we have anxiety in our world today is we're just so aware of everything. And social media has made us aware. We see each other's posts on social media, posts on Facebook. And specifically, I mean, what do we post on Facebook? We post our highs and then maybe like our extreme lows. We don't post just like our mundane. Okay, we don't post like, you know, I just didn't have the best day today. Like, I mean, how many times, let, let, let's, let's see a show of hands, how many of you have posted on social media in the last year, came home and had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich today? <laughs> we don't post that. Nobody cares, right? <laughs> what do we post? I got a new car. I went on a vacation. Had lunch with one of my best friends I haven't seen in decades. No, don't get me wrong. These are great things to be grateful for. But then what do I see when, when you post that? Man, I haven't talked to my friends from... A decade ago in a long time. At least a decade ago. <laughs> Man, I'd, I'd love to have the time to go on a vacation. We, we just start seeing, I mean, it's not that we can't be happy for other people, but we start realizing what we don't have or what we're not getting to do. And that's where our perspective changes to that if only. And, and that's where it gets dangerous for us because gratitude really needs to work the other way around. We talk sometimes about this, this illustration of being in a car, and we've got this big windshield to look forward through and this tiny rearview mirror to look backward in. Why? Because God wants us to look forward, but he doesn't necessarily want us to forget what's behind us. We need to pay more attention to what's coming, though, right? But yet gratitude, gratitude kind of works this way. We can look into that rearview mirror and see what God's brought us through to know that we can be confident in what's coming in front of us. That's how gratitude works. See, the secret to gratitude is that we change our if only to already. Instead of saying, well, if only I had this great job, we could say, you know what? I've had a a good job for a while. Maybe it's not perfect. Maybe I wish I made a little bit more money. Maybe I wish I got along with my my coworkers better. Maybe I wish, you know, I, I had better days off. But I've got a job, and it's sustainable. It's steady. I've got, like, we, we could think this, Right? Gratitude changes our if only to already. And really, when it comes to anxiety, gratitude is like the perfect antidote to anxiety because it flips us around. Here's why I think this. Anxiety, if you really boil it down, anxiety is self-centered. Now, I want you to hear me out on this because I'm not trying to say if you struggle with anxiety, you're a self-centered person. That's, That's not what I'm getting at here. But anxiety, what's it do? It focuses your attention on everything that's going on about you. All of your fears, all of your worries. It focuses on on all the potential drawbacks for you. It, It just really locks us in. We talked about this a few weeks ago. God wired our minds and our hearts and our souls to be singularly focused on Him. And when we focus on Him, then through Him we focus on others. Gratitude does that. Gratitude automatically changes, naturally changes our focus outward toward God and toward others. You can't be grateful if you're not thinking 
of other people. See, gratitude requires intentionality. And here's the thing about worry and gratitude. They don't coexist. Gratitude refuses to share the heart with worry. Worry won't let gratitude in. Now, does that mean mean that you can't be an anxious person and also be a grateful person? You can, okay? But at its core, the more gratitude you have in your heart, the more your anxiety is naturally going to cease. Here's an example. Let Let me ask you a question. I want you just to think about this. If you're taking notes, you can jot something down, or you can just think of an answer in your head here. What does it take for you to be happy? What does it take for you to feel content? What does it take for you to feel gratitude? Okay, let that hang for just a second, because I want you to think about that. We all have something, and there's not a right or wrong answer here. I'm just, I'm wanting you to think about this as we go. See, here's where Paul came from. I I talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago, this letter that we're in, Philippians. It's one of the last letters that Paul writes. It's called Philippians because it's a letter written to a church in a town called Philippi. And Paul is writing this from prison. He's writing this from a tiny, dank prison cell. And the only time he's getting out of this prison cell is when he gets to walk down the road to his execution. He knows that. He knows that he's at his end. And, and, And Paul later in this chapter of Philippians 4, is going to pin one of the verses that we probably all have highlighted in our Bibles. Okay? You probably know what verse I'm I'm getting at here. Philippians 4.13 is a verse that we all use a lot of times out of context. I'm just as guilty. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, I say we take that out of context. When I was in high school, every single soccer game I played, every football game I played, I put a piece of tape around my wrist and wrote Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ. I can go score two or three goals tonight. We're going to win this game because we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, right? I can bench press 200 pounds because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, I don't want this to fool you, Okay. I can't bench press 200 pounds, okay? Again, don't let what you see here fool you with that, okay? I can't dunk a basketball. I can't drive a golf ball 400 yards, okay? There are a lot of things I can't do, even through Christ who gives me strength, okay? That's not what that verse is all about. See, here's where Paul is getting at in Philippians chapter 4. A few verses after he tells us to not be anxious about anything, he says this in verse 11, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. You could stop that right there and walk away from that verse. Like, okay, maybe I should too. But Paul doesn't, and we're not going to either. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Again, This is Paul. He's had everything, and now he is in a tiny little jail cell. Verse 12, he says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What's his secret? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That's his secret. Verse 12, I mean, he, he just lays it out there for you in verse 12 when he says, I've learned the secret He didn't say, I've learned the formula. I've learned the process. No, I've learned a secret. And I said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Want to know what Paul's secret really boils down to? Philippians. 
is 104 verses long. And in those 104 verses, he mentions the name of Jesus 40 times. Almost once every two verses, he mentions the name of God. What's the secret to gratitude? Jesus. How many of you were raised in Sunday school? That was always the answer, right? Jesus. It is here. That's the secret. It's Jesus. Paul focused on Jesus first all the time. Why? Because he knew this secret. Uh, Max Licato writes it this way, and I agree. Contingent contentment isn't sustainable. I asked you a few minutes ago, what makes you happy? What makes you content? What makes you uh, grateful? A lot of what we write down isn't sustainable. Okay? Uh, Jesus chapter 4, uh, Jesus, John chapter 4, Jesus is, is meeting with this woman in Samaria at a well, and he's using the illustration of water, and he basically says, you can drink this water, and it's good for you, but guess what? Later, you're going to need more water. You're going to be thirsty again. You can eat a great meal, and later, you're going to be hungry again. Why? Because they don't sustain us long term. Jesus does. That's what he tells the woman, I'm the living water. You drink me, you don't ever have to drink anything again. But when our, our contentment is contingent on other things, it is unsustainable, and it, it leads ultimately to resentment. It's a never-ending cycle. It's chasing the next thing that's going to make you happy over and over. So be like Paul. Focus on Jesus first. Put him first, because you can do all things through him who gives you strength. You can focus and, 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 and realize what it means to be grateful. And here's another good thing about gratitude, folks. Gratitude leads to a mindset of abundance. The more you think about what you have rather than what you don't, the more you realize, man, I've got more than enough. I've got plenty. We, we do this. I was, was talking... Uh, with, with Lori last night after the, the Halloween thing, we were kind of talking about this sermon a little bit, and, you know, she was talking about one thing, and that led me to thinking about something else, but, she, you know, she made the comment, she goes, man, I get really frustrated when I'm driving down the road and hit a red light, and then hit the next red light, and the next red light, and the next red light, you know, four or five in a row. I thought, you know, I, I'm the same way. I am not a very good Christian when I'm driving a car. I'll just confess that right now. I'm not a very patient person. Um, you know, in, in red lights, sometimes I will make a right turn at a red light and drive four blocks out of the way just to keep moving. <laughs> because I think I'm in control, right? Yeah, I've got issues, I know. But, you know, what, what do I, what could I do instead? I could be sitting at that red light going, this car has seat warmers, these are nice. You know, my, my, my phone Bluetooths to my car. I can listen to stuff through my phone. I can listen to my podcast now instead of the radio. <laughs> you know, I've got a vehicle that, that works, that's reliable. I could be thinking that instead of another red light. Change our perspective. We start thinking about the attitude of abundance. And folks, it's good psychology, yes, but more than that, it's good theology. See, here's what I want to break down with you today. In verse 6, Paul tells us that through everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, we make our request known to God. I, I love looking at the Greek, and I know most of you, you know, that's probably not something you really think about, but, but the New Testament was written in Greek, and I love to look at it because it, it, it sheds a new light on the language. Sometimes our English Bibles don't quite do justice to 
what was originally written. That's not to say our translations are bad at all. Our translations are very good. They're more accurate than they've ever been. But we just see a little bit of a difference. If you know multiple languages, you kind of understand this. Even going from maybe English to Spanish, sometimes we lose a little bit in translation. But Paul uses a word in verse 6 that I hadn't caught this until this week. And I saw this word and it just jumped off the page at me. Because the word he uses for thanksgiving, the word he uses for gratitude that's used throughout the New Testament is a word that even if you don't know Greek, many of you are going to recognize and understand from a totally different perspective. It's this word right here, eucharisterios. Now, some of you aren't going to know what eucharisterios means, but that looks awfully similar to a word many of us have used in churches before, the Eucharist. Eucharist is kind of a fancy church word for communion. The Eucharist is, is the body and the blood of Christ that we share in every week. We do this every week. And I say this, we don't do this as a, as a ritual or as a habit. We do this as an intentional reminder to be grateful for what Christ did for us on the cross. So when Paul says with thanksgiving, he's saying with eucharisterios, present your request to God. With gratitude and thanksgiving for what he did on the cross for you, present your request and make them known to God. And it's more than just eucharisterios because we get actually a couple of more words out of this Greek word here that are equally as powerful and important for us in this. Right in the very middle of this, you get another word, uh, charis. Charis is the Greek word for the grace of God. And there's another word hiding in here as well, too. It's the Greek word kara. That means joy. Gratitude, grace, joy. Those are an intentionally interwoven bit here by Paul. Again, I love the Greek language, and this is why. Because you see how these tie together. Grace, joy, gratitude. If you understand God's grace, you will have joy, and gratitude will be natural for you. I look at it this way. Grace is what we receive, joy is what we experience, and gratitude is what we give. How many of you can say, that's a pattern that works in my life? A lot of you probably can. And maybe if you can't, maybe you can start getting that pattern into your heart. Because we realize what makes us grateful is what we got in the first place. And this is a, an attitude of gratitude that, that just trickles down. And once it starts to trickle, folks, it can fill you up. Okay? If you've ever watched uh, like, like a, a bucket get filled by a leak, you know, it's just a drop at a time. And if you sit there and watch that, it's kind of like watching water boil. It's just like, man, this is ridiculous, drop, drop. You come back later, and now there's water there. It's filling up. You can let gratitude do the same thing in your life. And if you sit there and just start forcing it, it, it might not seem like it's working. But if you just look back on occasion, you're going to notice that bucket is filling higher and higher and higher. Let that trickle down through you because what you will understand the more you focus on gratitude and focus on what you have is you'll understand this truth. What you have in Jesus is greater than anything you don't have in this world. And it's greater than anything that's, that's forcing anxiety in your life in this world. Jesus is our ultimate. And here's what I want to challenge you with today. 
Many of you are good at saying thank you. But I want to take it a step further. Rather than just saying thank you, I want you to start writing down your thanks. See, here's what I mean by this. When, when you say thank you, that's nice, that's kind, that's thoughtful. When you write it down, there's actually a little bit of power that comes through there because you're going through the actual process of this. I started this uh, about a week and a half ago on, on, on Facebook. Every day, I'm just listing someone or something I'm, I'm thankful for. And then I'm explaining why. And I, I, I told, told my wife, I said, I'm going to not take the cop-out answer here and say, I'm thankful Jesus died on the cross for me. Of course I'm thankful for that. I, I don't get to use that one. I want to think about people in my life, things in my life. Now, I say I've done this every day. The last couple of days I was so sidetracked with other stuff I haven't. So today I'm going to try to do three of them and catch up on this. But I want to encourage you right now, whatever you've got, if you've got a phone, this is your permission to get your phone out in church, okay? Get your phone out. If uh, you have a pen and paper, you can do it this way too. I want you to start making a list of things you're thankful for right now, okay? If you don't have something to write on, start writing them in your head. Just start making a list of names. Start making a list of things that, that you're grateful for right now. And as you're writing these, I'm going to give you a couple of mine. And I want you to see kind of why I'm doing this, because when you start to write these down, I said it's powerful, you're going to realize your gratitude is kind of like an onion. You're going to start peeling layers back, and it's going to go deeper than you realized. One person in my life that, that I'm grateful for is somebody I never met, and I won't this side of heaven. He's a man who did something about 75 years ago that set up something later in my life. It's a man named Dr. Seth Wilson. Dr. Seth Wilson was a, a, a preacher in uh, southern Missouri, and about 75, 76 years ago, he started teaching the Bible, and eventually that became a school called Ozark Bible College that later became Ozark Christian College. Dr. Wilson founded this college, and he was the, the school's dean for 40-plus years. And again, I never met the man, but through him... He started something that has become so impactful to the church all around the world. Uh, Ozark is one of the top two or three Bible colleges in our brotherhood of churches. Ozark has pastors in every state, has missionaries all over the world. And even recently, a few years ago, with Boise Bible College, which we support and we send students to, Boise was struggling. Ozark reached out to them and said, we got you. We've got you. And Ozark sent them a president. And Ozark has sent them professors. And they're making sure that Boise Bible College stays strong so that out here in our part of the country, 2,000 miles away, the, 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 the gospel is still being taught. And although I never met Dr. Seth Wilson, I got to sit under a professor named Dr. Mark Scott, who has been one of the most impactful men in my life outside of my, my, my family. I had Mark for a preaching class, a practical ministry class, and I learned more about the nature of God and the Bible through his preaching class than maybe I ever have. Because when he tells you just how to preach, he cannot help but share who God is. And he's not even preaching to us. He's telling us how to preach. He's a man who just overflows with the gospel. 
I was blown away. I, I saw his Bible. He had a brand new Bible. He had just gotten it. And already it seemed like every other page had notes all over it. I'm like, you just got this, like two days ago. You already read the whole thing? <laughs> and he's the kind of guy, when he gets a new Bible, he doesn't copy his notes from his old Bible. He starts fresh. He's a man who's worn out more Bibles than I'll ever own. He's a man who could walk up here today, preach a life-changing sermon without even opening his, because he's just so ingrained in his life. Guess who his mentor was? Dr. Seth Wilson. And Seth Wilson established Ozark with a mantra that trickles down that their professors today still use that goes this way, who we teach you to love is more important than what we teach you to know. Who we teach you to love is more important than what we teach you to know. And that is a, a credo that has, has trickled out to other people. It was through my time at Ozark that I got acquainted with some of the most influential and impactful people in my life. It was through there that I've, I've, I've come to know many pastors who have become good mentors for me and sounding boards for me and, and, and supports for me. How's your list coming? Five names? Ten names already? I mean, I could go on and on and on. I, I, could, I could litter this, this screen with <clears throat> more and more pictures that, that tie back to Seth Wilson. You see how the onion works? It was through Mark Scott a friend of Tom Moyer's that I heard about out here. That's how I got here. You see, when you start to look at what you're thankful for and you write it down, it's going to rabbit trail you in a good way because you're going to start seeing God's fingerprints all over every single step of your life, every aspect of your life. Now, I understand too, if, if you're currently in a spot where you're gripped with anxiety, and it's just tightening your life down. It may be really hard to see past what's right in front of you. I get that. And you may be going, man, I don't know what I have to be grateful for right now. You know what? Let's really simplify it down. God, I'm thankful I can, I can breathe today. I'm thankful there's a blue sky outside today. I'm thankful I woke up this morning, that I slept last night. You know what? Maybe you can't sleep. God, I'm thankful you gave me more time to get up and pray. I woke up yesterday morning at 3 a.m. I have no idea why. <laughs> Couldn't go back to sleep. So what did I do? I went in my living room and I just sat there, kind of in silent prayer. I didn't say a word to God. I just sat and listened. Just let God speak to me. Folks, when you step back, regardless of what's going on around you, God will show you something to be grateful for, and that's going to lead to something else to be grateful for. Many of you probably know the story of, of a woman named Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom was a, a Dutch Christian from a family of Christians, and back in the uh, early parts of World War II and the Holocaust, her family hid Jews in, in their home, hiding them from the German army. They were eventually caught and arrested, and they were sent to the concentration camps along with the Jews. And they got there. She was uh, put into a, a, a concentration camp and into a barracks with her sister, Betsy. And, and they get there, and I mean, it was, it was terrible. The conditions in there were terrible. It, it, it stunk beyond anything when I was reading about it, anything that I've ever experienced. It smelled of human excrement. 
It was rancid. There was stale, stagnant water everywhere. There were, there were bugs everywhere. Their sleeping conditions, they slept on uh, wooden racks that they couldn't even set up on. They were so close together. They threw straw on them to give them something to sleep on, and the straw was wet and nasty. Those were their living conditions. And, and once they got in there, they basically looked at each other and said, what in the world, uh, like, like how did this happen? And Corey's sister Betsy remembered what she had read in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 when it says, be thankful in all circumstances. She told Corey that, and Corey said, are you serious? How can we be thankful right now? We're at a death camp. And her sister Betsy said, well, we're here together. And we're surrounded by a bunch of women who don't know who Jesus is. And also, I smuggled a Bible in here. I'm thankful for that. They started looking at little things they could be thankful for. And they realized that as time went on that there, there, were, there were little bugs that were biting them and they eventually realized that, that the entire barracks was infested with fleas. And, and they were everywhere. They covered their bodies. They, they, they were nipping at them constantly. Some of you know what, what that's like. If you've got, got animals, maybe they bring them in the house sometimes. But they, they, they were trying to think of what they could be thankful for and, and Corey told her, she goes, I can't be thankful for these fleas. These are awful. These need to, to go away. Well, as time went on, Betsy got sick, and she became too sick to go work outside in other parts of the camp. Corey could still go work in other parts of the camp. Betsy got too sick to do that, and usually that was a death sentence. Once you were of no use, they just put you to death. But Corey, uh, Betsy was a knitter. She could knit, and she could knit very well, very fast. So Betsy was put to work with a group of women in her barracks, knitting socks for the German soldiers. And she was so good at it that she would fill her quota in just a couple of hours, and then she would spend the rest of the day walking around bunk to bunk, talking to those women, sharing the gospel, talking about Jesus, reading the gospel to them. Women who had no hope, she was bringing them hope. One day, after several months of this, uh, the the ladies kind of got into a bit of an argument over the socks because they weren't sure how many they were supposed to make in the different sizes. You have to make you know, this many of this size. No, this many of this size. And one of the ladies stepped outside and asked the guard in front of their barracks, would you come in here and settle our argument? We don't know what we're supposed to do. And he said, I'm not coming in there. She goes, but we need to know because we're going to get in trouble if we don't meet our quota and we don't know what our quota is supposed to be. Can you come in there? He goes, I am not coming in there. She goes, no, you need to. He goes, I am not stepping foot in that barracks. It has fleas. It's infested with fleas. I don't want those things all over me. And it hit Betsy. And later when Corey got home from her shift where she had been out working, she goes, I, I figured it out. And the whole time they've lived here, the soldiers never once came into this, this barracks. They never once searched our belongings. They never once found my Bible. They never once beat us like they do the people in the other barracks. You know why? They don't want to get fleas. Months after Corey had said, I'll never be thankful for the flea, she goes, I am today. Folks, how many of you in your life right now are infested with fleas? You have things that are nipping at you, biting at you. They're serious, and, 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 and we understand this. Like We're not trying to downplay it. But how many of you in the midst of that can find something 
even the worst things you can be thankful and grateful for. See, here's what you need to understand. What you're struggling with and dealing with today might be a sermon that somebody needs to hear tomorrow. And it's a sermon that I can't ever preach. Don't ever think you're not a preacher or an evangelist. You don't have to be polished and be smooth with the Bible to be able to bring words of life to somebody. If Corey Tinboom and her family had not been arrested for smuggling Jews, we wouldn't know who she is today. But because we do, we have books that have been written by her and about her that have become some of the most impactful books written in the last 70 years. Life-changing books about the goodness of God in our lives. Gratitude opens you up to realizing that God is constantly at work in your life, even through the fleas, even through the bad things, even through the worst things. How's your list coming? I, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you this week. Write your list. A pastor in, in Kentucky that I admire, pastor of a, one of the biggest churches in the country, has always said, I want to be, I just want to be grateful. Every single day he writes somebody a thank you card. He doesn't call them, he doesn't text them, he doesn't just say thank you. He writes it out and mails it to them every single day. Folks, our gratitude comes when we learn to anchor our hearts into the soul of God. And the more we can do that, the more we're going to realize He is at work through every aspect of our lives. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful. We're so thankful, Lord, that you have just given us so much more than we can realize. And God, I know it's so easy to get caught up in what we don't have. It's so easy to get caught up in the bad things that we do have. But God, never let us lose sight that you're at work. Never let us lose sight of the fact, Lord, that you are still on the throne, that you're still in charge. And God, that, that, that the lessons and the things that we get from one day, God, will have a profound impact on what we're going to get into the future as well, too. So, God, as we make lists in the coming days of what we're grateful for, God, I pray that that would just open up our hearts to more and more gratitude towards you, towards your plan, God, towards your son who went to the cross to redeem us and to restore us. God, we're so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful for his life. We pray today in his name. Amen.